Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Hello everyone. My name is Amitabh. It's good to be here. Welcome to those who are watching us online. People from all around this beautiful country and around the world are able to join us. If you have a question during the service, do reach out to your online chat host. We'll be there ready to help you. Uh, We meet every Sunday in Streetsville, we meet in Brampton, we meet in Milton, so check us online and do take the time to visit us. If you are new here, you are visiting us today, you are new at Portico, just want you to know that right after the service, you can walk out and walk towards the right side of our main door, our atrium welcome cafe is there and you can meet with our senior pastor, Pastor Doug, and you can have espresso coffee. The sermon series is titled, This is Living, Choosing Joy. So while you as a newcomer will go to the Atrium Cafe and you'll be having espresso coffee, the rest of us will have ordinary coffee, but we will be choosing joy in the gym while having ordinary coffee (laughs) in life's everyday moments. We are in in the book of Philippians. So you may want to take your Bible out and your sermon notes out and then uh, keep the Bible uh, ready at Psalm, uh, sorry, at Philippians chapter 3. I'll be uh, referring from uh, going to verse number 1 to verse number 3 and I'll be going there again and again. So just keep it open if if you can, Psalm, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1 to verse number 11. And then if you can put your fingers on Psalm 119 because I'm going to teach you six Hebrew alphabet letters today from Philippians chapter 19. So, so just that as a reminder as we dive into this uh, message. Paul is writing to his friends in Philippi. Uh, the first time Paul went to Philippi was in 50 AD. That was his first visit. On that visit he established a church. Chances are the book of Philippians was written as a last prison epistle or prison letter. It was uh, written near the end of his Roman imprisonment. It was written around 61 or 62 AD. So he is writing 10 or 11 years after his first visit. And he's wanting to share a few things with the church in Philippi. And he's willing to share it with us. The book of Philippians is a popular book. There are many favorite verses which people like to quote. Chapter 1, verse number 6, He who began a good work in you will carry it to perfection. Chapter 1, verse number 21, To live is Christ and to die is gain. Chapter 4, verse number 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And although those favorite verses are nice, what we are doing today is we are going to dive a little deeper into the text. Our message is titled, Dangerous Recipe. A half and half recipe is not good. A half and half strategy or a half and half approach is not good. It's a dangerous recipe. One part Jesus and one part religion is not good enough. And you will discover as you keep walking close to Jesus that Jesus is more than enough for us. 
As we look at how religion can distort God's grace, we will look from verse number 1 to verse number 11. Philippians chapter 3, it can be divided into three parts. Verse number 1 to verse number 3 is Paul's warning. Verse number 4 to verse number 6 is Paul talking about his accomplishment. And then in verse number 7 onwards, it's Paul's focus and the focus is on Jesus Christ. Read the text with me if you can. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1 to verse number 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who... Put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then Paul is quoting seven things there. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I will not blame anyone if they come to me and they tell me that it is difficult to understand, to comprehend what is true and what is false. We live in a generation where we are redefining what things mean and it is becoming difficult to understand what is true and what is false. It really has become difficult. And it does not help when false teachers come along and they try to confuse us with their false teachings. In fact, this is so reprehensible to Paul that Paul called these false teachers dogs. And he said, be careful of these dogs because they are like scavengers who preys on the weak. Now, let me illustrate to you a consequence of getting something wrong. It's a true story, and in the story, there's a salesman who got it terribly wrong. The year is 1921, when India was being ruled by the Britishers, And King Jai Singh was the Maharaja of Alwar. Now you say, what's a Maharaja? Maharaja is a Hindi word for a king. So the Maharaja of Alwar, King Jai Singh, from the province of Rajasthan in India, walked into Mayfair car showroom in London, England. There were still six Rolls Royce on display. He was looking at phantom Rolls Royce for a long period of time. He was not dressed like a king. He was dressed in ordinary clothes. And the salesman made the mistake, not able to recognize the king, he threw him out of the showroom. The king left furious. 
He went to his hotel. He called his servant. He said, call the owner of the showroom. Let him know that the Maharaja, the king of Alwar is going to come tomorrow to that showroom. And he's interesting, interested to buy not one car. He's interested to buy a fleet of cars. Now, just as a historical footnote, you may find this interesting. All Indian Maharajas had a fondness for Rolls Royce. It's true. You'll be surprised to know that of the 20,000 Rolls Royce, which was built before World War, 20% of the Rolls Royce was imported to India. There were 230 major Maharaja dynasties or King's dynasties. On an average, every Maharaja owned 3.5 Rolls Royce. So King Jai Singh is not an exception. He loves Rolls Royce. So next day he dresses up, back to the original story, in his, in his decor, the royal decor, walks in, the showroom rolls out the red carpet, and the king says, I'm going to buy all the cars you have for display, all six of them. He says, but there's a special condition, and I'm going to pay for all of this in cash. There's a special condition. I want this personally escorted by your salesman. Now, you can imagine who that salesman was going to be. So the cars reached India, and Maharaja Jai Singh ordered them to be lined up outside of the municipal garbage waste because he was going to use Rolls Royce to clean or pick up garbage and clean the city. Let me show you the picture. There's the Rolls Royce, that's Maharaja Jai Singh. And on the Rolls Royce in front of the wheel, you can see that broom. That is how he was going to use the Rolls Royce. That news spread like wildfire. Every rich person who had a Rolls Royce around the world was now kind of embarrassed because the car they had was being used for picking up garbage in India. So the car sales went down. Rolls Royce head office realized a mistake had been made. In those days, there was no phone call where you can pick up the phone and just call. You know, in those days, there was a trunk call. You actually had to call, and then after three days or something, a phone may get connected to India. But there was also something called the telegram. Young people in the room, if you don't know what the telegram is, it's all right. We want to make fun of you also. You don't know everything. But, but the telegram was sent to India. Google it when you get home. <laughs> we don't know bitly, you don't know telegram. <laughs> yeah. So a telegram was sent with an apology and also six free Rolls Royce cars was offered. So the, King, the Maharaja accepted the apology and the cars, the Rolls Royce was removed from the streets of India where garbage was being picked up with the Rolls Royce. But the lesson had been learned. It is true that being deceived or getting it wrong can be a dangerous recipe. Just ask that car salesman. What a terrible mistake. In the same way, in this walk, in our life, as we are walking or trying to walk close to God, there's a subtle danger that the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ can be stripped of its perfection. One half Jesus and one part religion, a half and half approach can be a dangerous recipe. Jesus is enough. Number one. Don't be deceived by counterfeit teachings. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1. Paul starts, he says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. 
you need to remember where Paul is writing from. Paul is in the prison. He is in chains. And while his imprisonment is serious in nature, it's a matter of life or death, yet Paul in chains is able to say, Rejoice in the Lord. To lead the Philippians to this truth, Paul is taking them directly to Jesus. The point here is to rejoice in the Lord and not in your own achievements. The joy is in the Lord. Ground your life there. Ground your life with Jesus and not on anything else. Then in verse number 2, Paul says, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutators of the flesh. Paul is calling a certain group of people as dogs. Who is Paul talking about? Dog denotes wild, vicious, homeless animals that roam the streets and the attack passes by. Figuratively, it was a term of reproach. Jews used it for Gentiles. Paul is flipping it around and he's using it for these religious Jews and he's saying, watch out for them. Paul used to go and he would talk to the Gentiles and he would tell them that you need to follow Jesus Christ. After he had finished his preaching, these religious Jews would come behind Paul and they would say, well, your salvation is not just by grace and faith alone. You actually need to follow certain religious traditions. You need to get circumcised. You need to obey the Old Testament law and also believe in Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, no, you don't need to do that. All you need to do is you need to accept Jesus Christ. Do not pay attention to anything or anyone that says salvation can be attained by anything external. Your salvation is through Jesus Christ and nothing else. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 verse number 6. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? In Paul's time... This is how bread was commonly leavened. A little pinch of dough from the old lump would be taken and it would make the whole new lump of dough rise up and puff up. What is the lesson there? The presence of a little can corrupt a large amount. And Paul is using this as an illustration and he's saying, I'm warning you against these false teachers who can take a little bit of scripture And they can deceive you with a little bit of scripture. They can use a little bit of scripture, but they cannot free you. Let me illustrate that for you today. I'm not sure how many of you have seen a recent Netflix documentary series. It's called Wild, Wild Country. Anyone seen it? Do not watch it with a child because it has got some graphic sexual religious acts in this documentary. It was released in the month of March this year. The documentary premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and is is about a controversial Indian guru by the name of Bhagwan Rajneesh and his community of followers who moved to Oregon in USA in 1981. In 1998, Susan and I visited Bhagwan Rajneesh's ashram in Pune, India. Rajdish had written a few books about Jesus and he had written a two-part commentary on the book of Matthews. In those days I used to teach in Bible college and I wanted a copy of those books to see what Rajneesh is saying about Jesus 
And what was the commentary of the book of Matthew, two, two volume series, what was it all about? The Bhagwan term which he used, Bhagwan Rajneesh, is an Indian word for God. It was a self-proclaimed title. Rajneesh was highly educated both in BA and MA in philosophy. He moved to more Oregon, USA in 1981. His rich followers continued to grow. A lot of them were from Hollywood. And as his followers grew, so grew the size or the collection of his Rolls Royce. He had 93 Rolls Royce ranging from $60,000 to $256,000 apiece. Allegedly, his followers were responsible for one of the largest recorded marriage fraud, sham marriage cases in the USA. More than 400 allegedly for immigration fraud. Allegedly, his followers were also responsible for the largest bioterrorism attack in US history, as foods in local restaurants and supermarkets were contaminated. 750 people fell sick, fortunately no one died. As a religious guru, his philosophy was rooted in materialism, in sex, and in enlightenment. Talks on the sayings of Jesus is an English discourse that he gave in the year 1977. It was later compiled as a two-part Volume, a commentary on the book of Matthew, titled, I Say Unto You, Volume 1, Volume 2. On page 7 of I Say Unto You, Volume 1, Chapter Number 1, The Flute of God, on God's Lips, Rajneesh talks about Matthew Chapter 1 and the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He is quick to pick up Bible verses and give it a sexual slant. Now, in the Bible, in Matthew Chapter 1, 14 generations are mentioned as the family line of Jesus is presented from the line of King David. Here is what Rajneesh teaches. Why 14 generations? No scholar has asked it. No biblical scholar has asked it. Why only 14? Why not 15? Why not 13? This I'm giving you as an example of objective art, unquote. Now before I go any further and present to you the sexual slant that Rajneesh gives to the family history of Jesus, let me explain to you why it's 14. Why 14? Why not 15 or 13? Ready? Okay. Question number one. Who wrote the book of Matthew? Fantastic. Matthew. The second question is more difficult. What was Matthew's profession? So in the first service, somebody said disciple. That was not his profession. <laughs> he was a tax collector. Okay, good. So what Matthew's doing in chapter number one is that he's utilizing his talent as a tax collector. Footnote for you. When you come to church and accept Jesus Christ, please do not leave your giftings behind. Your skills and your gifting is part of what you bring to God's church. Oh, you know, I, 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 I don't want to do math. Why not? It's needed. So here is Matthew, the tax collector, writing. And look at how he writes, using his gifting as a CPA, CMA, whatever that, that financial degree he had. Remember, Hebrew language does not have numbers. It has 22 alphabets. Turn with me to Psalm 119. I told you I'm going to teach you six Hebrew alphabets. Above Psalm 119, above verse number 1 is Aleph. Psalm 
That's the first Hebrew alphabet. Since there are no numbers in the Hebrew language, the first Hebrew alphabet can be Aleph, like A, or it could be a number, which is 1. So above verse number 1, section 1, Aleph. Above verse number 9, you'll find the word Beth, section 2. Above number verse number 17, Gimel, the third alphabet, or section 3. Verse number 25, Dalet. Verse number 33, Hey. Verse number 41, Wah. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Wah. Now you know six Hebrew alphabets. Since Hebrew language does not have numbers, here is how the values were given. Let me try and explain this to you without complicating it. The first five Hebrew, first ten Hebrew alphabet is one to ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The next nine Hebrew alphabets, up to ten is covered. The next nine has 20, 30, 40, 50, right up to 100. And then there are three alphabets still left. And the value of the last three alphabet is 200, 300, and 400. Now come to Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. David is David in Hebrew. It is spelled with three letters. Dalet wa Dalet, David. Since there are no numbers, when you write Dalet, you're using the fourth letter or the number four. And when you write wa, it is the sixth letter or the number six. And when you're writing the word Dalet again, Dalet wa Dalet, it is six plus four plus six, six plus, so sorry, four plus six plus four. Four plus six is ten plus four is fourteen. The fourth letter, the sixth letter, the fourth letter. Four plus six plus four, fourteen. Now you can look at me and say, hey, hold on, false teachers, I've never heard this before. How do you know this is what Matthew did? Good question. Because the word of God needs to be looked at correctly, right? Verse number 2, Matthew chapter 1 to verse number 6, 14 lines. Verse number 6b to verse number 11, 14 lines. Verse number 12 to verse number 16, 14 lines. And listen to what Matthew himself is saying in verse number 17. This is not Amitabh's interpretation. This is Matthew saying it in verse number 17. He says... Thus there are 14 generations and all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to exile to Babylon, and 14 from exile to Messiah. You see what is taking place? Genealogy through David, David, or 14, divided in 14, 14, 14 lines, and since 14 generations can also read David, 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 as a tax collector, Matthew must be happy to have the family line of David 14 presented with such a masterful wordplay between David and 14. And his primary audience in the book of Matthew are Jews and the Jews get it. The problem with English translation is it gets lost. The book of Lamentations chapter number 1. When you read it in English, you lose it. The book of Lamentations chapter number 1 has Alev, Beth, Gimel, Dalet. That's how it's all. All of the alphabets, 22 alphabets are there. And each sentence of lamentation starts with a, with a word. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit. You don't see it in English translation. And you know what's the lesson out there? Lamentation chapter 1. Grieve. 
22 words grieve but grieve for a moment and then move on to chapter number 2 do not make it your lifestyle that teaching gets lost because we don't see the scripture in its original language now look at a false teacher coming in with that cunningness and see how he interprets interprets matthew with a sexual slant this is what rajneesh says it is 14 for a certain reason it has to be decoded anybody tells you there's a secret code in the bible watch out when it came to writing the new testament it could have been written in classical greek and koine greek the new testament was written in koine greek common greek in common man's language so that we will understand it the son of god the god the father sent his son not to confuse us to make us understand it read your bible don't listen to people who says takes the name of jesus everybody who takes the name of jesus is not a right teacher in fact the danger is greater those who sound scriptural those who quote jesus those who talk about a scripture they are worse because they don't openly oppose you they can deceive you so ragnish is saying it is 14 for a certain reason it has to be decoded the spirit matures like the body matures the body matures in 14 years now see the sexual slant it becomes sexually mature it can reproduce sexually at 14 years the body is ripe as for a sexual reproduction is concerned the boy can become a father the girl can become a mother they can reproduce replicas of themselves i have heard this message live which rajneesh said and there was a catholic nun in the audience and he mocks her for her values and then says you know we need to be sexually alive you see how the word of god has been corrupted and paul is saying be careful look at what matthew is saying in matthew chapter 10 verse number 16 he's saying i am sending you like lambs into a pack of wolves so be wise as a snake and as innocent as doves look at what second timothy chapter 2 verse number 15 is saying do your best to present yourself to god as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth be careful of false teachers our problem is we have opened ourselves to the internet we can get all kinds of teachings the teachings we get has no filters and if we don't know our scripture if we haven't taken the time to read the bible that we can be deceived because what sounds attractive may not be attractive be careful and then paul goes on and gives us a second warning he says don't be deceived by religious practices don't be deceived by false teachers but don't be deceived by religious practices remember that paul was raised thinking that all the disciplines he had would add up to something Then he had a personal encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus his life was flipped upside down as his life is flipped upside down now Paul is seeing it in its true light and he's telling us in Philippians chapter 3 was 3 and 4 for we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us we put no confidence in human effort though i could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could 
Indeed, if others, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. In fact, he goes on and he lists seven things on which he can have confidence. The context in which Paul is talking about, he's talking to the group in Philippi, and he knows that he's stuck with a, list, a group of people who like to talk about their achievements. Philippi had that culture. Those who lived in Philippi knew that this was a special city. It was a Roman colony. They knew they had rights and they had privileges that other cities in the Roman Empire did not enjoy. Living here, you enjoyed the same privileges that were afforded to you if you lived in Rome. In fact, Philippi was nicknamed Little Rome. People here were Roman citizens and they were free from taxations. They had rights and privileges and they talked about achievements. So Paul is presenting his religious resume. He's listing seven things in his religious resume. If you were told to write your religious resume, what would your religious resume be? You know, Pastor Dwayne, he leads worship. His wife is Jody. And she had a health problem. Uh, Pastor Doug is there and Pastor Doug's wife is Laura. She had a health problem. And then in their religious resume is not, I did such and such and I got healed. In Jody and Laura's resume is, and God did it. That's the only resume we have. God did it. I stand behind this pulpit. I do not qualify. I have made mistakes in my life. I just don't make it. I don't stand up to the the standards. But for the grace and the mercy of God. But Paul is saying, but if you want to boast, let me boast and tell you. I've got seven things I can boast about. Verse number five, circumcision. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Number two, citizenship. I'm pure-blooded citizen of Israel. Number three, genealogy. I'm from the bigger tribe of Benjamin. Number four, family heritage. I'm a real Hebrew. Four things by birth. Three things by my action. Orthodoxy. I'm a member of the Pharisee. Most religious Jew. Zeal. I had zeal, I persecuted the church. Righteousness, in terms of righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I offered right sacrifice to atone for my sins. Then see where Paul takes us. He takes us a step further and he says, but salvation is not a reward. It is not based on the good things that we have done. Jesus would not have had to die if practices had inherent value. We also need to remember that our good intentions are not grace. The danger is when these become substitutes for the redemptive work of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 8 and 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Then Paul turns his focus, verse 7 onwards, upon Jesus. These religious things, these seven things, these religious things kept me away from a genuine and authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. You can come to this church every Sunday. You can participate in every event. You can be part of the one hope if you want to be. But that is not a substitute. It is not equal to true intimate relationship from Jesus with Jesus Christ. 
coming to church is not equal to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 8, Paul. Every religious thing that I did was a loss, a garbage. Paul is basically saying your resume or your accomplishment, it is filth. It is garbage. The Greek word is a strong word that is used here. The Greek word there is, sometimes it is used for dung. That's how strong that word is. It is useless. Romans chapter 3 verse number 27. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal, our forgiveness is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. The word acquittal here refers to forgiveness. And our forgiveness is again not based on what we do, but is based on faith. Let me give you my personal interpretation here. You know, when communion takes place in this church, during the first or the second service, I'm one of them who will walk up and pick up the plate and come to you with bread and wine. And that's your personal space. That is between you and God. So I'm not going to judge what you do. But there are groups of, a group of people here who will probably never take communion. It will come to you. And it's alright if on one given Sunday you're saying, I, I don't want to, I'm not yet ready for it. But basically when the communion comes to you, what does it mean? There is bread and there is wine. There's the body of Christ and the blood that he shed. And when we take it, we don't take it because we, we qualify ourselves. We don't take it because this week I've done all these good stuff and I'm now good enough to take communion. We will never be good enough to take communion. That is why he went on the cross and he died. When you take the bread and you take the wine, you're not taking it because, oh, you know, I didn't get up this morning and I pray for two hours. I'm not spiritually ready. You will never be spiritually ready on your own. Your resume amounts to nothing. It is filth. It is done. You take it because you go without that shedding of the blood and without him going on the cross. I don't make it. It is the grace of God. It is the mercy of God. So I'm encouraging you. I'm not telling you what you should do. I honor the decisions you make. But I'm just telling you, next time communion come along, think about it. If you've been here for one or two years and every time communion comes, you go, I, I, I'm not good enough. You should be the first one who should take it. Because he died for you, my friend. He did not fight, die for those religious Jewish Pharisees, as Paul said, those dogs. He died for us. He died for you. He died for me. So you're, you are here today and you're saying, okay, what must I do to qualify? Do I need to read my Bible? Do I need to pray? Do I need to give a donation? Do I need to volunteer? How much of good will you do to become good? And how many of stuff you'll do wrong, which will make you bad? Paul is giving us the good news. He's saying you need to do nothing to earn his grace. I love Revelation chapter 3 verse number 20. Jesus says, listen to this. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Your door. He's right next to you. He knows you by your name. He died for you.
He's saying, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears and opens the door, either in this room or watching me online, if you open the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Not because I have a great resume, not because I've done good stuff. It's because it's the grace of God. God cannot get any closer than that. The good news is the love of God is for every one of us. So at this time, I'm going to request you to close your eyes and to bow your head. And as all eyes are closed and all heads are bowed, those who are watching us online, this call is for you, my friend. You can reach out to your online chat host even as we walk the next steps. I'm not making you stand up. I'm not calling you in the front. But will you accept Jesus today? Will you say yes to him? I'm not going to make you stand up, but if you are saying yes to Jesus, online, if you're saying yes to Jesus, reach out to your online host. If you are saying yes to Jesus right here, as all eyes are closed, all heads are bowed, will you just raise your hand and slip it down and give me the honor of praying with you? Will you just raise your hand and slip it down saying, yes, yes, I see that. On the right hand side, I see that. On the left hand side at the back, I see that. Just because I'm limited in my sight, I'm going to ask you again. Just, just bear with me. Will you just slip up your hand and slip it down again? I see that on the left-hand side. Two of you on the left-hand side. One at the back. God bless you. Anybody else? Let me start from the right and let's go to the left. On the right, anybody saying yes to Jesus? We will take time. It's all right. God bless you. Anybody saying yes to Jesus? On the right here, I see that. God bless you. On the left-hand side... Anyone? God bless you, sir. Anybody else? God bless you. Even if I missed acknowledging you, it's not important. When you raised your hand and you slipped it down or you're watching us online and you said yes, I want you to know that God is standing there outside your door and he sees you. He knows the mess we've made and he is there to help you. So allow me to close. With a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for the sins and the life that I have lived. I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. Help me to turn away from my mistakes and experience your blessings. I thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. I thank you for the hand which was raised in the service. Acknowledging that we are saying yes to you. We want to know you. Help us to follow after you. Forgetting things that are behind, help us to press on to reach the mark. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.